so I had never felt so lost in my whole life. I was, uh, had just gone to Dallas, Texas. We moved there. Uh, I moved there before we were married. I moved there to go to seminary. And I was super encouraged because I had the privilege to speak at a youth conference that was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I had been working on my teachings for months in advance, super excited about it. And um, I remember going to the airport and it was pre 9-11. So I was kind of proud of myself for a domestic flight that I was 45 minutes before the flight. You know, those of you who remember those days, it was like plenty of time, right? And so I parked my car in the cheap, uh, the cheap parking lot, took the shuttle, made it to the gates and walked inside. And I'm looking around at Dallas-Fort Worth for the Southwest airline um, ticket counter. And I could not find it. And then I went up to a very kind police officer and I asked her where where the Southwest ticket counter was. And she said, oh, honey, that's at the airport. That's called Dallas Love Field. Uh, that's like four, 30 miles away from here, or 20 some miles away from here. And I said, well, I can't be because my flight leaves in a half an hour. And, uh, and it did. We'll just say that much. It left without me. So I uh, went back, got my car, drove over to the airport and got on another plane. And it was so frustrating. I remember driving there, wishing that I could get there faster. And then when I got on the plane, I actually... Some of you are too young to appreciate this, but I had to use the phone that was in the plane. And uh, you had to swipe your credit card. And I think the cost of that, that phone call that I had to call my host that I was supposed to be speaking at his conference at that night cost more than my credit or my cell phone bill for a month, you know? But, but I made this call and it was one of those moments where I was just so discouraged, so frustrated. I totally botched this whole thing. And yet, in the midst of all of that, there was another thought. I just felt lost, right? And I'm guessing for some of us today, as you've come into Hope Church today, that there's this, this reality for you, especially when it comes to understanding God's will in our lives, that it's possible that we feel that way. Maybe it's during a pandemic that is escalated, or maybe it's just that in life it feels like we've experienced some closed doors, frustrating circumstances. But, but that, that emotional feeling that I had that day of just going, oh man, those three little letters that are on my ticket really matter, right? That, that you feel like you're just not where you're supposed to be. And today, what we're going to study as we study the book of Acts is we're going to see that the author of Acts chose to give a, a series of events that took place. We know them as the second missionary journey. And he's going to record this very differently than he did the first one. The first one focused in on geography. Where were they going? And, and in many ways, it focused in on the, the mighty hand of God as it was glorified in their struggles. And in the verses that we're going to look at today, we're going to see a handful of experiences where we're just going to see the mighty hand of God at work moving his people into the places that he wanted him, them to be in so that they could be used by him. And, and I want to encourage you, for some of you, you stand back, you've asked me questions like, how do I figure out God's will for my life? What does it look like for me to experience what God wants to do in and through me? And for, for many of us, we, we desire that so much. And this morning, as we study God's word together, I think what we're going to see is something that's essential, and that is God's will for my life is going to be, in some ways, God's will for this moment. And he's going to give us some examples in history of the way that God worked through people to bring himself glory and honor. And it's going to shock you some of the ways he's going to do it. He's going to do it at times through what's going to feel like failure. 
He's going to do it at times through what's going to feel like just God giving the desires of his heart, of a person's heart. He's going to do it through leading someone through conflict, actually. And we talked about that last week, but that God can even use conflict to advance his kingdom, to bring himself glory and honor. So, so as we've gathered together here this morning, I want to pray for you. And I'm praying that as we understand God's positioning system, that he, we understand that in his mighty handiwork, he has a number of ways that he can lead us to understand his will in our lives. And, and for, for a number of us this morning, we might find ourselves just saying, what does that look like? How do we experience this? And the main point this morning I want to remind you of is if we trust him, he will lead us. Someone said this to me uh, years ago, and it has meant so much to me, that God cares more about me finding out his will than what I do, you know? That, that God is, is understanding us as we're striving to understand what he's doing in and through our lives. And, and this, this question, how do we determine God's will? is going to be one that's going to show up over and over again. And what we're going to see today is this unpacking of the, the commitment that we saw early in the book of Acts, that, that God was going to raise up a group of people who are going to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the way he's going to direct them is going to, is going to encourage, I hope, each one of us to wrestle with what it means for God to have a calling in our lives, to understand this is a statement that we pray, some of you have memorized this in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done, right? And so what we're doing is we're trying to understand what it means for us to understand the will of the living God. Richard Longenecker put it this way when he references what God was going to do in this section of scripture. And I think it's helpful. He says, authentic turning points in history are few. But surely among them that of the Macedonian vision ranks high. This Macedonian vision that he's talking about, we're going to see God miraculously working on behalf of a group of people that he was drawing his leaders to serve in this way. Because of Paul's obedience at this point, the gospel went westward. And ultimately, Europe and the Western world were evangelized. Christian response to the call of God is never a trivial thing. Indeed, as in this instance, great issues and untold blessings may depend on it. What we're going to get to see is God's, God's gospel is going to be brought to a group of people. If you look at this map, you're going to see where they're headed. They're going to leave from Athens. They're going to go north and they're going to travel literally across the ancient world to thoroughfares of where people were constantly traveling on the move. And over these next several years, there's going to be incredible fruit that comes from their step of obedience. But I'll remind you this morning that it's going to require them to just keep taking the next right steps. For some of us, when it comes to understanding the will of God in our life, we have to accept the question in our own minds of, of the silence or not silence of God. And I want to encourage you this morning that God is not silent. The question for many of us that we have to ask is, am I listening to the voice of God in my life? Or am I willing to obey his call in my life? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 36. And in this text, we're going to see God using one of his favorite tools to direct his people. It's actually going to be to use the very desires of their hearts. Verse 36, it says this. 
And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and to visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. This, this first statement here, the first way that we see God's handiwork in moving his people is actually just giving them the desires of their heart. That there's, there's this wonderful Psalm. Some of you are familiar with it in Psalm 37, four, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here, Paul is saying, I, I want to go visit our friends. We want to go see what's happening. And I'll, I'll be frank with you. Like part of the reason why we have the privilege of pastoring in Ohio is, is a part of that. Allie and I grew up in Ohio. We love Ohio. We ended up going to the Bahamas and California and we had a Texas. And, and when we were in Texas or in California, there was a time there where we said, Lord, our families are in Ohio. We love them. Would you open a door for us to be able to minister in Ohio? And, and sure enough, there was a, a wonderful opportunity to to come here. And it, we just look back on it and we just say, wow, it was just the desires of our heart. Sometimes God just chooses to do that, that he opens a door for us that's just based on preference. And I think for some of us, we have a misunderstanding of the character of God. I hear people say this all the time. I'm afraid that God's going to call me to a country that's on the other side of the world. I'm afraid he's going to do something that, and, and we say it with such a misunderstanding of the fact that the way that Westminster Shorter Second Catechism puts it, it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The God that I serve, this, this statement motivates me. The God that I serve is one that, that I don't just serve because I have to, but it's because I love him and because I believe that he loves me. And I'll be frank with you that every time I've taken God at his word in my life, I've been blessed. And in this case, this is what we see from the disciples is that they're just saying, like, I, I want to do this. This is my preference. And God's going to bless it and use it to have a mighty work on behalf of the kingdom. The next way that God can lead us is going to be quite surprising to some of us, but it's very true. That sometimes God leads us through conflict. In Acts 15, beginning in verse 37, we're going to see what's one of the more famous passages in Scripture, a conflict between Barnabas and Paul, these two heroes of the early church. And it's going to lead to the two of them heading in two completely separate ways. But before we put a label on this and call this bad, what we want to remember is that ultimately God's going to advance the kingdom from this conflict. The text doesn't tell us if this was good or bad. But what we know is there was conflict. I shared last week that, that couples often have come into my office and shared when it comes to conflict in their marriage, they say, you know, we've never had a conflict, a couple anticipating marriage. And I said, good luck with that, right? And, and in the same way, I remember at our church in California in the parking lot, there was this couple that was having a, let's just say a very heated discussion in the church parking lot there as they were driving in and the kids were strapped in the back. You kind of felt bad for them, you know, big eyes, like what's going on? And uh, there was a couple, I remember distinctly that in that same time period, this really sweet couple, they're always holding hands, dressed alike. You know what I'm talking about, right? And, and um, when we have stayed in touch with our friends there, that, that couple that had that intense conflict, they're actually in a position right now where their marriage has been blessed and God's using them to help other couples. This other couple that on the surface had everything going for them, they've since separated in their marriage. And I look back on that and it was such a, a key moment for me to just remember, you know what? You look at conflict on the outside and you uh, can rarely really tell what's going on. But in this case, what we get in this snippet is the fact that it was a tough conflict. But 
what we do know is that God was still at work. Verse 37 says this. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with him with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. You guys remember when we studied the first missionary journey that after they'd left the island that there was a departure of John Mark. And for Paul, it was really a source of abandonment, discouragement. Here again, he's saying this is frustrating for him. But, but there arose, verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and they departed. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, I think this is a statement about Silas, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So you see this moment and you look at it and it sounds terrible, right? They had this heated conflict. But, but what we know historically is that there's going to be a time where they reconcile. And what's happened through this difficult conflict is leadership is multiplied. Silas becomes a powerful tool used by the Lord. John Mark is going to be a man who God's going to use to do incredible things in the future. And yet, what, what happened there was that there was a, a division that, that led to something that actually proved to be quite positive. And I see this as an example in God's word. Later in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, and Colossians 4, 10, Philemon 24, 2 Timothy 4, 11, we see the restoration of these relationships that were severed, challenged, conflicted, but ultimately, at the end of the day, good things came out of it. The third thing that I see in this text as, as this unpacking of how God leads his people flows out is that God often leads us through the convictions of others. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Paul also came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. Now, I want to pause here. This is Timothy that we know of, that later Paul would write the books to, um, and to Timothy. Timothy would be a wonderful disciple, a leader in the church, a young man who God uses in a mighty way. But in the text, it describes a challenge, one that came up because of the fact that his mother was Jewish. In those days, that was how you, you would be identified as a Jewish man, would be because of your mother's Jewish heritage. And yet his father was Greek. And so he grew up as a, as a man who was uncircumcised. To us, this doesn't mean much. But to those who were in that context, especially those who were Jewish, this would potentially be a real hurdle for them. And so what, what we see him choose to do here is something that's quite incredible. As an adult, he chooses to go through the step of being circumcised. And some have questioned, well, wait a second, didn't you talk about the Jerusalem Council last week where it talks about the decision that Gentiles don't have to go through the circumcision process? Well, the great news about that is Paul understood that and he never required Gentiles to be circumcised. Titus proves this later in the text. But what we see here is that, is that Paul was challenging Timothy to do something that meant that he was going to care more for the needs of those he was ministering to than to his own personal comfort. It says this in the text. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. That what, what happened here was that, that 
Timothy did something that was on behalf of another group of people. He was sacrificial in what he chose to do. I can't help but think about the world that you and I live in today when it comes to decisions that we make about caring for the needs of others over the needs of ourselves. And I want to draw attention to something that's significant. One of my best friends, he um, early on, about six months ago, when all of this was happening, we, we t- wrestled with face masks. One of those things that we talked about and just struggling with it. He was honest. Like, I hate face masks. Face masks, face masks are such a waste. And he sent me some articles and things and I had the privilege of spending a few minutes with him this last week. And he came up and he was, he was smiling with me. And he said, you know, I've had kind of a journey in this area. But the journey that I went through in this area that was significant for me is he said, we, we both have a mutual friend who's a surgeon. And he said, you know, what I've realized is that our friend, he, he wears a face mask when he does surgery and it's a part of him doing his job. And, and I'm not sure about all the merits. I don't know all the science. He doesn't claim to be, but he said, it just dawned on me that, that one of the things that God has asked me to do is to be an, a messenger of the gospel. And I realized like, if this is the price that I have to pay to be able to share the gospel, then I'm, I'm willing to pay. He said, I'll wear three masks if I have to. And I, uh, when, he, when he said it, you have to understand what, what was happening inside of him was something where what he's basically saying is the, the good of caring for others and advancing the mission that God's given me is more important than getting stuck in the weeds over my preferences, my comfort, what's best for me even at the time. Now, I, I bring this up not to, to grind this, but to just say like this is what we see in the text is that his conviction was to follow the lead of what the Apostle Paul had for him, and it ultimately opened doors for the sake of the gospel. You know, it's important for us to accept that for some of us in this room, we've been encouraged and inspired by other people. The Paul's in our lives that are pushing us on to be spurred on to love and good deeds. Paul did this with Timothy, and we know the fruit was incredible in his long-term ministry. For some of you, you're being pushed and encouraged. You're being invited to participate in something. And I just want to encourage you, as we're striving to understand our purpose, I'm just going to say, like, let them. Somebody might encourage you to do something that you say, I don't know if I'm any good at that. Well, try it. Uh, There's other people in your life that God may be using to spur you on to, to be the kind of man or woman that God's calling you to be. God can lead us through really the convictions of others. And at the end of the day, it may require us to lay down something that's a preference for us. When I was in seminary, um, I attended a church um, that was led by a man by the name of Dr. Gene Getz. Dr. Gene Getz, author, wonderful man. He always wore a suit and tie, even, you know, just normal work days at the church. And uh, we had this Q&A time period with Dr. Getz one time, and one of the guys in the room raised, up, raised his hand and he said, Pastor Getz, why is it that you always love to wear a suit and tie? And, and he, he almost paused and he looked over at him like, what do you mean love to wear a suit and tie? Almost like, does anyone love to wear a suit and tie? And he went on then to say, you know, when I was younger, um, I had, as a young pastor, I had to wrestle with the question of, am I willing to set aside what's comfortable for me for what I believe God's asking of me to best reach the people that he's called for me to reach? 
And then I, when I wrestled with that, I said, I'll, I'll, do, I'll, do, I'll wear whatever God's asked me to wear in order to reach the group of people that he's called me to minister to. And then he went on to talk about the guys on Sports Center wearing suit jacket, whatever it was. But, but for, regardless, I want you to catch the, 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 this is not, that wasn't a legalistic statement for him. You need to understand that. He's just saying like, I don't care whatever it costs. Like I'm, I'm willing to do it. And you know why? Because he understood something that the Apostle Paul understood. This isn't just a preference thing. But in our lives, like Paul saw other people's salvation as a matter of life and death. Like that he, he literally said that he becomes all things to all people for the sake of the gospel, right? If you, if you know in your Bibles, you can jot this down. I believe it's in the notes. But in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, he just talks about what he chose to lay down for the sake of the gospel, in Romans 9, 1 through 3, it's a hard to read few verses because he says, I would rather trade places with somebody who's condemned for their sins because of my love for people. And what we understand is that Paul is saying, like, I'm willing to set aside what's comfortable for me for the sake of those who desperately need it. So, so here we see in the text this, this beautiful transition. Others are going to join them. Later, Luke is going to join them, the author of Acts. And we're going to see this move from, from them to we. And so God's on the move. He's doing some great things. And they're choosing to set aside what's comfortable for the sake of the mission. The fourth thing that I see that God does to move his people that we see in this text is that God leads through, this is surprising, through closed doors. And I've seen this maybe perhaps as, as powerful in the lives of my friends and other individuals as any other way that God has worked. That, that there are individuals who've said, I feel like God's taking me this direction. This is what he wants me to do. And then they lose their job. They find out that there's a child that they have some missionaries in foreign fields that had to come home because of the health of their children. And it's devastating for them. But the field that the Lord brought them to might be even more powerful and more fruitful than what it ever could have been if they had stayed on their original plan. It says this in verse 4. As though they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. Remember, that's the Jerusalem council that we studied last week. Verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they were increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Paragon, Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, we might look at this and go, what? Wait, wait a second. The Holy Spirit's telling them not to go there? And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, and then the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them there. So passing by there, they went down to Troas. You, you read this and you go, well, wait a second. Is, is God uh, condemning this group of people? Well, actually, if you study your Bibles, actually, Peter later talks about the fact that God sent him to some of these very places. This is God's divine handiwork that he's moving his people into the places that he wants the work to be done. Have you guys ever watched three outfielders in a baseball game go after the same ball and none of them get it and it comes, fall, you know, falls right on the ground? You, you recognize that somebody has to give way. There has to be this, this divine work that is what we're seeing in front of us is God's opening doors, closing doors, moving his people because this is his mission and what they get to be a part of then is to see themselves be placed on the map where God wants them to be. 
For some of us, I think these closed doors may have caused us to be paralyzed in the mission that God's given us. It's discouraging to not see the plan play out in the way that you want it to. Remember that phrase, God's will for my life is God's will for the moment. And for some of us, I think there's this grandioseness to this, like someday, this is what I'm gonna accomplish, great things for the Lord. Well, the way that people have accomplished great things for the Lord is that they've accomplished the daily task that he's placed in front of them, and they've been faithful each step of the way. And here, these closed doors meant that God was opening a new way. I want you to see this map, and I want you to just see now that as God's working, he's going to take them down through, through what is the centerpiece of that ancient world where, where there are people who are traveling. There's trade routes that are going through here, and the gospel's going to be used to spread the truth of the gospel around the world. So God is going to lead in a mighty way through this transition from them having what felt like really painful, I'm sure, closed doors. But God was in it. The Holy Spirit was on the move. After the first service, somebody came up and they, they opened their Bible up to 1 Peter. And they said, look at this. Like right here, Peter's talking about how he went to those places, some of them that, you, that Paul was restricted from going to. And we see God's mighty handiwork is at work. Uh, another way that we see God leading us, and this one has been particularly profound in my own life because it's his living word, is that God leads us through his word. Uh, I love these, these words in Psalm 119, 105. It says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Have any of you ever hiked in a time when it was dark outside and you just have that little little flashlight? What you only get to see is what's next, right? What you don't get to see is the end goal, right? You don't get to see the finish line, but what you get is the next right steps, right? What I understand about God's living word is that the way that it was written by the power of the Holy Spirit, the way that God moved in the authors is that, is that that very same God is still working through his word. He's still communicating to us through his scripture. And when we honor his scripture, God can do a mighty thing on his behalf. Now, I want to warn you in a couple ways that I've seen people maybe confuse this. Um, some people use God's word kind of, they play what I call Christian roulette. Uh, I had a guy say, I asked him, so how did you know that you were supposed to marry that young lady? And he said, oh, I, I just opened up the Bible and I flipped around some pages and, and then I, I did this. And, it, and then it said, you know, something like that. No, I don't recommend that. Okay? Um, a, after the first service, someone came up and they, they were laughing at their, their son was picking out names of young ladies and trying to play that game with. It wasn't a good game, right? Christian roulette. That, that doesn't honor the fact that when God worked in the lives of these authors, that he was moving through who they were, their stories, their history, and through his divine power, he was indwelling this truth to be God's living and active and powerful word. And so often God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. That's been a primary way for me that I have found experienced and understood the truth of God's word and his leadership in my life. But, but there's other ways that God continues to move us as well. I think one of the powerful ones to understand this is that God often does so in a supernatural way, in a powerful way that he allows us to understand as well. In verse nine, we see this. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So here he is, um, he's maybe half asleep, and he gets this vision of a man in Macedonia who is standing there urging him and saying, come 
over to Macedonia and to help us. They, they call this the Macedonian call. And what we'll see next week, this is incredible, is that there's women that are there in Macedonia who are faithfully praying for God to reveal himself to them. And so here we get this, this answer to a call to prayer, that this answer that God supernaturally says, here's where I want you to go. And Paul does what you do when God calls you. This example is beautiful. He says, and then when Paul had seen the vision immediately, he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. When God says jump, we say how high. We obey him through that. Now, I want you to also notice another way that God works. And this one's an important one, is that often God works and leads us through the compassion that he has instilled within each one of us. I, I confess to you this morning that I am naturally a very selfish person, that I am painfully aware of my own desires, my own appetites, the things that I want. I know what I want when I want it. None of you can relate to that, I'm sure. But, but I know that I'm a selfish person. And so for me to care about the needs of other people is something that's not necessarily natural to me. But I actually believe it's a part of what God has instilled in me as an image bearer of the living God, that it's something that's supernatural. So when I'm driving down the street and I see someone who's stuck in that rain that we experienced earlier today, that, that there's a part of me that says, what can I do to help that person? When I care about the needs of other people, I think that's supernatural, actually. And here, what, what Paul is experiencing here is that God's just nudging him and saying, hey, there's, there's something for you to do. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, this morning, that for some of us in the world that we live in right now, we're just discouraged people. That we're, we're wrestling with, like, what, what's the purpose in our lives? Is it just to be entertained? Is it just to survive? Are we just waiting until the next thing comes along? And I just want to challenge you this morning that God has a very real purpose for you. That, that, that for some of us, we're kind of like a, a sailboat that has the, the, the rudder that's broken, that it's, it's listing, right? There's, there's no purpose behind there. There's no place that we're headed and I think what God is asking of us is to actually take the next right step in our life. What, 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 do, what does it mean for me to obey you? Not two weeks from now, not two years from now, but today. What does it mean for me to be a person that obeys the calling of the Lord in my life today? And, and I believe that when we do this, what we experience is this truth that every time I've taken God at his word in my life, I've been blessed and I've seen that God is moving me on to what he wants, his will, his desire, the thing that he has me to do. And in the midst of that, there's an unspeakable joy that comes from it. By way of application, I want to challenge you with three very specific things. And I, I just believe this. Those who listen and follow the Lord are blessed in their life. It's helpful to understand that this is a not my will, but thine kind of posture. Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, what are you asking of me? What is this that you've chosen to do in my life? And I'll just remind you, the director of this isn't your pastor. It isn't someone else manipulating you. But look at this. Look, look who is doing the moving, moving here in the text. What we see in verse 6 is that it was the Holy Spirit. In verse 7, it's the Spirit of Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is there. In, in verse 10, it was God the Father, the triune God, one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're just on the move. 
And they're inviting you to participate in this. And I, I want to really emphasize this this morning. It's so important that, that we find ourselves wrestling with the next right step of obedience, right? Well, what's he want for me to do today? Not necessarily three months from now, but what is he asking of me today? I believe that the Lord Jesus spoke something really profound when he said these words in Luke chapter 6, 38. He says, he says this, he says, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap for the measure you use it will be measured back to you. This text tells me that generous obedience leads to generous blessings. This is not a health and wealth gospel. What this is, remember Jesus earlier in the Sermon on the Mount had said, blessed are those who mourn and weep and sacrifice. The cost of discipleship and obedience is very high. But when you obey, this, this, I picture these, these are like baking terms. You know, you think of a, a cup full of flour and when it's, when it's packed full, and it's different than when it's solid, when it's filled, and when it's, when it's, when it's half empty. I, I see this abundance that Jesus is describing here. And he's just saying, for those who are all in, I'm, I'm going to bless them. And I've seen this in my life. The second application to this is, is walking worthy gives our life worth. I think walking worthy to our calling gives our life worth. That that there's this, this understanding, I love these words in Ephesians 4 that Paul said. He says, therefore, I urge you as a prisoner for the Lord to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. This kaleo, this phrase calling, it's submitting to the will of God. We use that word a lot. Think of a person's last will and testament, right? What does he want? What does he want to have happen? What is he wanting to do? And in his divine mystery, he gives us this freedom to make decisions that can be under his will or against his will. And here he's saying, walk worthy of the manner of the calling which I've given you. I just love that phrase. And the, the third thing that, by way of application, that really stands out to me in my own life, and that is, is those who share the, the gospel get the privilege of joining in the celebration. Uh, we see this in Luke 15, 10. He says, just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In Acts 16, 5, we read this earlier, but I want to draw attention to it. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they were increased in numbers daily. God's on the move. The, the invitation to join him in what he was doing was presented before a group of people that desperately needed purpose and in that process, by walking worthy of the calling that the Lord had instilled in their lives, they got to experience the fullness of the life that he had for him, for them. I suppose for some of us, we are accepting that, that each day is one of those that we kind of move on from one to the next and just hope that we can survive it. I think what's been described here in this text is individuals who've chosen to say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to take the next right steps. I'm going to be all in and obedience. And, and that's the furthest thing of, away from that, where I started this, this morning talking about me standing there with that piece of paper, the wrong ticket, wrong airport, wrong place. What do I do? How do I fix this? I, I think for some of us, we just need to be reminded of the simple truth that he is on mission and he's inviting you to choose to join him in it. The cost is very high, but the privilege of doing that leads us to understand what it means to walk worthy of our calling. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. I thank you for your global positioning system that knows exactly where we are and knows exactly who we are and knows exactly what you're asking of us, the cost that you're asking us to pay. And I, I want to pray for a couple different people. I want to pray for the person that's here right now that has wrestled with the the fact, can I trust you with my salvation? Can I trust you with the burdens of my life? Are you big enough to be hand, to handle tomorrow's problems? Today's problems feel so overwhelming for me. And I pray that today for that person, Lord, that you would be their Prince of Peace. Lord, that you would give them the joy of the Lord, that that would be their strength, that they would be able to make the leap that was so important to to be able to advance the gospel that the Lord invested is best and brightest to go around the world to be ambassadors of joy and hope. I pray that that message, that simple message that you died on behalf of our sins so that we could be forgiven and set free, Lord, would be one that reigns in the minds of all who hear my voice this morning, that today would be the day that they take that seriously. I pray for those that are in this room that you have made a clear call in their life. You've challenged them, you've pushed them, but they've chosen to say, uh, it costs too much, too expensive, not ready. It's not on my terms. I pray for those who fit in that category, Lord, that you would continually remind them of your joy, that you would remind them that your divine power is given everything that they need for life and godliness through their knowledge of you who called them for your own glory and goodness. Would you place that call in our lives, Lord? Would we live up to our calling? Would we be a, be a place that, that moves in a direction of understanding the needs of those who are around us? And I pray, Lord, for those of us who um, have stood back and seen your mighty hand at work, Lord, would we never be ashamed to declare your goodness and to be able to say um, that you are our king. We love you. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you worked in the lives of these, these individuals so many years ago and, and that it's so powerfully relevant for our lives today. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen.